How's it going, everyone? We're here with the 60th episode of Fear Frequency. And if you're a new listener, this is a weekly horror podcast where two best friends round up the latest horror news and review a movie or game or two. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. And I'm George Fazard. And if you're new here, again, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a review over on iTunes that A, helps us get bumped up the algorithm so people will get recommended to us, and B, it's just a cool thing to do. So if you could take like three minutes and give us a five-star review, that'd be awesome. Uh, and remember, you can always email us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com and we'll read your message on the show. We also read the iTunes reviews on the show, and we actually have two new ones. So uh, the first one is from U2PopMofo. Who says the real Fear Frequency? I listen to Fear Hell Frequency yeah. every week. It's not just one of my favorite horror podcasts, but one of my favorites of all genres. Jimmy and George are great hosts and obviously do their homework every week, keeping up to date on the latest horror news uh, for movies, TV shows, and games. I highly recommend this podcast to any fan of the genre. These guys are genuinely passionate about the subject and are entertaining as well. Highly recommend. So thank you very much. That was a very nice yeah. review. Thanks. That was a great review. And we don't do our homework, really, because we just read these <laughs> articles anyway. But I guess it is kind of like doing our homework, you know? In, in a sense. Uh, the, yeah. The other review is from this guy named uh, Jormy Champing, who says, I'm reviewing my own podcast. I host this podcast, and I think it's pretty good. Definitely deserving of six stars, but only five are available. <laughs> I really wanted to bump up the ratio, like, you know, because the guys who started a podcast with the same name as us whined about it when we asked them to change it. Uh, they just quit after starting all that shit and then reviewing our podcast poorly with their friends. So <laughs> we have this low rating. It's like, well, it's not low. It's like four stars. So I was trying to bump it up. Right. So that's why we're asking you guys to do this. But. Next week, we'll read George's review because he's going to have to review our show with a five-star as well. <laughs> Can't just let one host review at five stars. Right. We need that extra bump. But this week, we're coming at you from Raccoon City, which I thought was in upstate New York, but it is not. It is in the Midwest. People think it's Minneapolis. And we have some news on the Child's Play TV show, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, Us, and more. And in segment two, we're reviewing the Ted Bundy tapes and Resident Evil 2. But, George, I'm getting patched in to Dr. Loomis. We have a Halloween alert. The poor does man. Does this count? It does, because it's the Halloween alert is all-encompassing of the Halloween franchise. Now we've moved past Halloween 2018. We can go back to caring about the whole thing, right? That's what I think. I think everything related to the franchise is on the table. Okay, well, if our listeners disagreed, we don't care. So... <laughs> We talked about already that Trick or Treat Studios announced their whole 2019 line and that a lot of it was already up for pre-order. But they did also, right after that, Stealth announced that the 1978 Myers Mask, which looks pretty fucking good, was up for pre-order as well. So this is the, I guess, I didn't know this. This is the mask that put them on the map several years ago. Uh, No, it wasn't. I read the article wrong. The <laughs> Halloween 2 Michael Myers mask was, which makes sense because that's the one we've all, we've commented on this a few times. We've said like, why is that one so widely available? Right. Turns out because it was the one that put him on the map. So they put up their 78 Myers mask, which is the original one for $59.99, same price as the 2018 one. And it was sculpted by the VP of art direction, Justin Mabry. And it's based on numerous screenshots or whatever. So it looks pretty good. Long story short, Looks, looks pretty good, and I think they're doing a better job at uh, putting pictures of the actual mask on their website. 
Because this looks like the production one to me. Yeah. Um, I know when they had their announcement of this one, they put a few pictures on like Instagram or something that were seemed like set photos. Like they were really, there was a lot of shadows and you can yeah, tell I they, see that they one. used like a lot of specific lighting and stuff and it looked really good but it's just kind of one of those things where you're not sure quality wise if it's going to look like that when you get your hands on it or not but yeah it seems like that's the worst part right it seems like these newer pictures though that they put out and what's on their website look to be like what you'd actually get in your hands what will what they're actually going to be shipping out and from those it also still looks pretty good so fingers crossed on this being a better launch for them than the 2018 mask <laughs> yeah so i don't know i ordered one because you know i i didn't order one of the 2018 ones and i still haven't been able to get one i almost pulled the trigger on getting the cut one you know with the shitty effect yeah with the of bad it being shot blood <laughs> i was like why would i do that like that one's same it's more expensive and worse quality mats so i'm glad i waited I got my pre-order on this. I got three order confirmation emails, which scared the shit out of me because, <laughs> you know, they're expensive. Right. So, I got one. Well, I'll obviously do a video on it when it ships in August or September, which is, like, really far away. But, yeah, that reminds me there's a commenter on my YouTube channel. He On YouTube, he goes by the name of Bertie Madow, and he always comments, and he leaves me nice replies. And I was like... That's really weird that your name is Bernie Madow. But he, he offered to send me something, so I gave him my email, long story short. He told, he told me that his little kid, he had as a kid, mm-hmm. who uh, made a YouTube account called Bernie Madow <laughs> and then never logged out of it. And then this guy just started using it. <laughs> so he just never changed it. But his name, he has a store called CK Costumes on Etsy. And he does, like, uh, they're recreations of props from horror movies so he has like the sack mask for jason he has uh the camp killer five mask so you see how he names these Mm -hmm. he has the prop weapon chef's knife from halloween (laughs) but he also does repaints of um michael myers masks he did one of the 2018 ones that he sent me some pictures and they look amazing like so awesome Mm -hmm. um so hopefully whenever this one that i ordered comes through he'll do the same like he'll offer that service because i'll totally pay him to repaint it um because man the ones he sent through are really cool yeah it'll be cool to see what a professional can do to a tots mask make it look movie quality not that they look bad it's just like for 60 bucks you get what you pay for right and someone who is going to go in there and hand paint a mask is going to be better than anything that's mass produced just quality wise you just can't beat someone going in there manually doing stuff Right, so I'm glad I got the pre-order in. It's cool that they're doing Halloween 1 stuff again. Uh, But that's the end of the short Halloween alert this week. The next thing we have on here is, like, crazy because there's there's a few reasons for it. But Don Mancini, it was announced today that the TV series that he's working on with Nick and Tosca landed at Sci-Fi. So we've talked about this so many times, and I, I remember when it was initially announced that this was always the plan. For it to end up on sci-fi. Like, we've been calling it the Child's Play sci-fi show. Right. Because Nick Antosca said he was working on a show with Don Mancini. And Don Mancini said he was working on a Child's Play show. Yeah, and he hasn't left sci-fi, so it just seemed natural. I guess they have to officially (laughs) announce it, but I don't think anybody expected this to come out on anything else. 
Yeah, but anyway, I guess it was confirmed today through Deadline. And Mancini said, I've long waited to bring Chucky to television, and sci-fi is the perfect network for us. The show will be a fresh take on the franchise, allowing us to explore Chucky's character with a depth that is uniquely afforded by the television series format, while staying true to the original vision that has terrorized audiences for three decades now. He says, uh... So then they also talked to Nick and Tosca, and he said, I worked with Don on Hannibal and Channel Zero for sci-fi, so developing Chucky with UCP feels like coming home. Um, he said, sci-fi is the perfect place to tell the next chapter in the Chucky saga, and having the original creative team lead the project will help elevate the story we are excited to tell. So it's going to be a sequel to Cult of Chucky. Allegedly, that's what Don Mancini's been saying, but he also said it'll be a fresh take on the franchise and that people should look at the original script he wrote for, uh, it was called Bloody Buddy or something, mm -hmm. to like get a hint at what this will be about. So, you know, various sources yeah, on what the show is going to be about. <laughs> kind of conflicting reports there. Fresh take on the franchise, but also a continuation of the movies. Yeah, so I, I put in the legwork here, George. I looked up the script's original story for Bloody Buddy, and... It was going to be a take on the My Buddy doll, which is obviously how the Good Guy doll came to be before it was changed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was they were going to put fake blood in this doll because Don Mancini was like, oh, these dolls, they pee and they grow hair now. Like, wouldn't it be crazy if I made it, if you could cut this doll, it would bleed. And then you'd have to go bloody buddy or buy My Buddy Band-Aids, mm -hmm. you know, to put on it. It was all a marketing pitch. Uh, it turns out that when the doll gets cut, Andy cuts his thumb and then does a blood pact and says we're friends till the end and then whenever andy is asleep the doll will kill it'll only go out and kill when he's asleep so it still has the whole duology of like is it andy or is it chucky mm -hmm. and all that shit but it's just slightly different so i don't know i don't know how this is all gonna play out uh <laughs> diamond scene wrote some episodes of Hanna hannibal which is pretty prolific um and nick and tosca made one of the best horror shows of all time so i'm sure that if Kevin Bacon can't get Tremors made into a TV show on sci-fi and these guys can get a Child's Play TV show made, they must have a good idea. Yeah. Uh, I hope it's good. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I know we've kind of trashed the, this franchise a bit on the show. But well, because Cult of Chucky was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just because that last movie left such a bad taste in our mouths. It's We can't really see anything going well for the character at this point. I'm more excited for this show than the remake. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The remake so far feels like much more of a cash grab to me. And this actually being headed by Mancini, who's been kind of the heart and soul of this series since the beginning, seems like this will be the more, I don't know, accurate or canon take on this character. Right. So if there's like one continuity to follow, I feel like this will be the, the one to watch out for if you're a Chucky fan. I also think, like, a TV show is actually a better option for them than another home video release Yeah, that might do well, you know? At least with it's a like, TV show, you're kind of guaranteed X amount of hours, so you can build up a story over a longer period where direct-to-video movies, you don't really know if you're going to get a sequel or not, so you kind of have to do this make the movie in limbo where it has an ending, but it's also kind of open if you want to do another one. So at least this, yeah. you can plan it out a bit better time-wise. Yeah. So, I mean, at least they're making money. They got the budget. Nick Antosca knows what he's doing. 
he wrote the short story that inspired Guillermo del Toro's next movie, too. So, like, I don't know, it's a pretty good claim to fame there for him. Yeah, definitely some uh, some good talent on the show. So I could, I could see it being good, but I could also right. see it not being good. <laughs> so Zack Snyder, he went away after he, was, he quit the Justice League uh, movie he was working on because his daughter unfortunately committed suicide. And it was just a really crappy environment for him to be in, I hear, over at Warner Brothers. That movie was obviously passed on to Joss Whedon. It came out, everyone hated it, and Zack Snyder was just kind of out of the limelight. Well, it turns out he's coming back to direct a big-budget, balls-to-the-wall zombie movie called Army of the Dead for Netflix. So, obviously, uh, Zack Snyder, he kind of blew up in 2004 when he directed a remake of Dawn of the Dead that James Gunn wrote, and it's pretty good. Yeah, Me and you watch it recently. Yeah, I like that movie. I think it holds up. I watched it last year. I mean, I still think that's a pretty good remake and a solid zombie movie. It's got Phil Dunphy in it. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And, uh funny uh frank underwood's right hand man from house of cards yeah right so i really like that movie and this army of the dead movie he was originally gonna make it like after dawn of the dead but he just never got around to it we don't know if it's a direct sequel or anything but he's making it for netflix now and the quick synopsis is the adventure is set amid a zombie outbreak in las vegas during which a man assembles a group of mercenaries to take the ultimate gamble venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted (laughs) the movie will commence shooting this summer with a sizable budget that could reach 90 million dollars and Zack Snyder told The Hollywood Reporter, there are no handcuffs on me at all with this one. It'll be the most kick-ass, self-aware, but not in the wink-to-the-camera way, balls-to-the-wall zombie freak show that anyone has ever seen. This sounds like exactly what this dude needs to be making. Yeah. To me. <laughs> this sounds kind of like the dream project he's been trying to get working on for a while. Like, he just sounds... The level of enthusiasm he has for this, it seems like higher than any dc movie he made over the last couple years yeah and the plot setup sounds awesome like that sounds really cool because in all those sequels those remakes of george romero movies and all those weird sequels to these movies that came out the government still kind of like quarantined the zombie outbreak and it just kept getting bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. so it seems like they're going to stick with that and i kind of like that it's sort of like resident evil how that went where these like there were these quarantine zones and all that shit. Yeah, and Vegas is obviously a great setting for something like that with all the really iconic casinos and landmarks that you can show them all dilapidated and wrecked. I mean, I just think seeing having big noticeable landmarks in a post-apocalyptic world are kind of cool anchor points to kind of put yourself in the in the shoes of the characters when you can see real life places affected by this fictional world right i can't believe netflix is paying 90 million dollars for it that's insane i mean netflix (laughs) has a lot of money for a horror movie they have deep pockets and i think their last shows and movies have been doing pretty well so right uh i mean Zack snyder is not a small name he is a big director who's directed multi multi million dollar movies with the last couple dc films he's done so yeah, I feel totally. like he has the credentials to kind of back up a 90 or $100 million movie. Yeah, and it's like you have to remember that while his his movies don't 
necessarily get great reviews most of the time they make billions of dollars like he's in the he's in the billion dollar movie club oh with definitely most of his movies no question so if he's given like full creative control on a dark story like this i feel like it'll come out good because that's what he's kind of warped the dc universe into and all that shit you know like it's it's kind of like his wheelhouse yeah, totally. And we've, like you said before, we've seen him do a zombie movie before that was pretty great. So it's cool to kind of give him full creative control of this little zombie story that he he can kind of yeah. play play around in. And it sounds like he's excited to do it. So I'm I'm happy to hear that he's kind of getting the to make the movie he's wanted to make for so long. Yeah, so, I mean, hopefully that comes out soon. With the Netflix movies, the turnaround is usually pretty quick, so that's we should be watching this probably by early next year, I would say, like with a summer filming date. I would say like earlier, middle of next year. So we'll yeah. keep an eye on that one. That doesn't seem too far-fetched. Um, so we got two Jordan Peele stories this week that are both, one of them's good, one of them's bad. So you can watch the Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode that inspired us. It's streaming on Netflix right now. And uh, he told Rolling Stone that us's initial inspiration, appropriate, or, god damn it. I don't know why I'm like having a meltdown this week. <laughs> I'm like so tired. It sucks. Uh, he said, I guess this Rolling Stone writer, Brian Hyatt, explains that Us's initial inspiration, appropriately, appropriately enough, was the old Twilight Zone episode, Mirror Image. He saw it as a kid, and a woman encounters her duplicate in a bus station, and becomes convinced it arrived from a parallel universe, and it's like trying to replace her or whatever. This is like, really weird, because it's like secondhand from the Rolling Stone writer. Like, get, get... <laughs> What the fuck? Anyway, Jordan Peele said it's terrifying, beautiful, really elegant storytelling, and it opens up a world. It open up, opens up your imagination. So you can stream uh, this episode on Netflix right now. It's like 25 minutes. That's cool. Yeah, um, obviously that sounds pretty similar to what we've seen from the trailers of Us, where there's these replacement people, this parallel version of all the characters that are what we can tell maybe trying to replace them maybe trying to just kind of wreck their lives but um it, it's cool to see that they're drawing inspiration from twilight zone which is kind of one of the most beloved tv series of all time and he's working on the remake of the show so that's cool that he's using that to inspire us yeah and from what we've seen from us it looks pretty great so far that first trailer is still probably the best trailer that came out this year um, I agree. So it's it's cool. It might be fun to kind of go back and watch that and see what parallels are drawn. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of Easter eggs or references to it throughout the movie. Because um, Peel yeah. seems like and he's... And it's on Netflix, yeah. so like I'll check it out. Yeah, I mean, why not? It's readily available, and y you know that there's going to be some strong correlations or Easter eggs in, in the movie. Right. And then the next story he showed up in the news for was today, and... <sighs> He says that he feels Get Out was a social thriller, but Us is a full-on horror movie. This is from the Rolling Stone article. He said, I'm such a horror nut that the genre confusion of Get Out broke my heart a little. I set out to make a horror movie, and it's kind of not a horror movie. As a horror fan, I really want to contribute something to that world. This is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Like, I'm sorry, but like, if you wanted to make a horror movie and you felt like you made a horror movie, you made a horror movie. Like, you shouldn't let idiots who can't stand horror movies doing well decide what your movie is 
you know? Because that's what this sounds like. It sounds like that changed his mind. Just hearing people say it was a social thriller changed his mind that it is a social thriller. Yeah, and the argument, the kind of infighting between people who try to categorize horror movies as something else, social thrillers, some kind of thriller is usually what they'll tack onto it instead of calling it a horror movie. Um, in the case of, like, I'm sure the Academy, when they were putting this up for Get Out for, uh, like, best screenwriting and director and all that, they called it, yeah. you know, psychological thriller as opposed to a horror film. Cause I, it's such a fucking I, I don't really, stupid genre. It's just a weird stigma that's attached to the genre. We, like, we all know what it is. We all know that it is a horror film. And so it's just a strange, like, I don't understand the point of trying to make it fit into this, you know, why would you fit a circle into a square peg when you can just call it what it is? And no, no disrespect to Jordan Peele. I know he's a huge listener of our show. He writes it every <laughs> week. But if you set out to make a horror movie and that's what you're intending to make, that's what you made. And like most horror fans would call that a horror movie. I'm sure Blumhouse would love to call it a horror movie, so just call it a horror movie. But uh, the article makes a good point from, I think, John Squires. He says that if he's saying that Us is a horror movie, that probably means that it really is a horror movie. Because, you know, like, it's scarier, probably, than uh, Get Out. Right. Maybe it means that his intentions for this one are even more so of trying to frighten you or have more you know, just kind of subject matter that is suitable to the horror genre than maybe more, not cliched in a way, but typical to that idea of it being scary and having having those other themes to it. And, and I'm all for that. I think that having Jordan Peele kind of really get dark with it would be interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, the movie comes out March 22nd. It's coming out really soon, so we'll see soon enough how scary it is. It's just frustrating that after all these like years of arguing and stuff, he's just like, nope, it's a it's a psychological thriller. Like, <laughs> what the? Or just like that's such a dumb genre name. Yeah, so it's what they it's what they called M Night Shyamalan's movies. Like they were like, oh, Unbreakable is the psychological thriller <laughs> follow up to The Sixth Sense. It's like, <laughs> all right, right, whatever, guys. It's like, why don't you just like, call a Spade a Spade? Yeah, right, exactly. That's pretty funny, but whatever. I'm excited for us. I still like Get Out, despite it being not a horror movie, apparently. It's still real to Uh, me, damn it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Next up out here is a really weird story. So we've known that Zombieland 2 is coming out at the end of this year, and it's kind of been like a sleeper news story because everything it seems to be going right for this movie like they got everyone to come back they, they they got the original writers they got the original director you know like everything is just slowly just chugging along for its october 11th release date but the one thing we haven't gotten is a poster yet and they just dropped one today that's one of those 10 year challenges uh and it reveals that the movie is called Zombieland double tap and everyone's on the they they basically recreated the original poster with the, the actors and it's hilarious because three out of four of them look exactly the same <laughs> like identical obviously abigail breslin was like a child when the original came out 10 years ago right. so she's all grown up but everyone else looks exactly the same <laughs> so weird i'm excited for this movie though yeah um i really love the original i think it's a really fun cool zombie movie i like the editing of it where they kind of stop and show the different rules of the world and i just thought that that was such a cool 
environment to play around in. And it was like, you know, very tongue in cheek, but it had a lot of good effects and, and a cool story. So I'm happy to see that this franchise wasn't forgotten. I mean, I feel like we've been hearing about them doing a sequel to this for so long now. It's like, it seems weird that not only is it coming out, but that no one's talking about it. Right. It's, it is weird. And they didn't post the poster like on its own after the fact. And the only way to see it is in this low res, <laughs> ten, like what? Like what are you doing? And it, they had this whole epidemic of fake posters going around, and this one looks faker than all the fake ones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. But Double Tap is a cool name because like that's a joke from the first movie. Right. I think this movie will probably do pretty well. Yeah. Also, um, we got the news that Rosario Dawson is joining the. Oh yeah, the, right. The cast, which is pretty big news. She's a great actress. Yeah, she's a huge name. I'm really excited for this movie. I tweeted about it today, and a lot of people also seemed excited. So October release date is is very cool. Yeah, it definitely would be fun to see it around Halloween time. I'm, I'm just right. shocked that it's actually coming out this year. Like, <laughs> it's one of those movies where I won't believe it until I see it in theaters. Yeah, I remember that they didn't want to do a sequel for some reason at Sony. So like they made a show with the same characters that picked up after the same plot, but they used different actors and Amazon piloted it out and you could watch the pilot and it was pretty good, but not enough people liked it for the show to get a full series order. And I'm kind of glad that happened because this is a better outcome in my opinion. Right. I mean, if you can get the original, everybody to come back, actors, writer, director to kind of complete their vision of it 10 years later and they have a good story to tell why wouldn't you want them to do it yeah and obviously i you know what ruben fleischer is the guy who directed venom i'm sure he directed venom and was like hey if i do this if i go through the like pain and trauma of this you have to let me do zombie land too and i'm sure sony was like yeah sure they were like yeah and you they just didn't... made us 200 million dollars on venom there's no way that we yeah <laughs> like, you can do whatever you want yeah, they were like, you made a movie for China for us, so you can make a movie for people who actually enjoy movies for everyone else. <laughs> uh, so that's cool that he got to come back, but um, I'm excited regardless. The biggest news story this week, though, in my opinion, it, came, it just happened yesterday. I was, like, super excited about this. Uh, we all know how the Dark Universe turned out over at Universal. Terrible. Uh, it just Broken. failed before it even uh, got started. <laughs> Some would say failure <laughs> launch. Yeah, Alex Kurtzman came in, wrote... a really bad movie with tom cruise and just you know it didn't it wasn't good uh, but we didn't know what universal was planning with uh their monster movies and we were just asking them like hey like, give it to blumhouse give it to a small budget team get some like actual horror creators to make a good movie and they were like okay and <laughs> they gave they, they teamed up with blumhouse again which makes sense because they have done that multiple times and it's profited for them every time yeah and they gave lee winnell the Invisible Man story, and they fired Johnny Depp. Yeah. So, seems like... All good news. Just, <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great news. Um, you know, Lee Winnell, he's the he's more... He's <laughs> written and acted in more movies than he's directed, but the two movies he's directed are pretty good. He did Insidious 3 and Upgrade. So, uh, there's no word on if they're going to go with the original script. I highly doubt it, though, because... That original script for this Invisible Man movie was written with the Dark Universe in mind, and they're not going with that whole shared universe anymore. So hopefully he'll get to rewrite this script and make it his own thing. Right. But was, I'm really I, excited about I this. I was going to say also with Lee Winnell being kind of a prolific horror writer, having written multiple Saw movies yeah. and Insidious films, 
you'd be an idiot not to let him rewrite the script for the movie that he's directing. Yeah, especially since he's directing it. Like, let him, you know, let him do what he does best. It's it's just, it's cool. Because James Wan, you know, he got his big break. He's the, you know, he did the Conjuring movies. He did Aquaman. And now he's kind of got a blank check to do whatever he wants. He's definitely going to do Aquaman 2, right? Because yeah, he's going to do Aquaman be. 2 through 5 million. Because DC's probably like, no, you cannot stop making movies for us. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is officially, he's made the most money with a DC movie. He beat out Wonder Woman. Uh, we Lee Winnell, he was sticking with, you know, smaller budget movies. He did, you know, like Insidious 3. He showed up in Aquaman as an actor. He yeah. was the guy driving the plane, <laughs> which is wild. And they did Upgrade, which he was pretty bummed about. I read some interviews before it came out. He's like, from the very start, it sucks because everyone's like, oh, you're doing a small budget action movie. That won't make money. <laughs> and then they did their projections on how much it would make. And I was like, well, you know, like maybe it'll do better. And they were like, no, this is a science. We're right. <laughs> and uh, they were right. It didn't make a lot of money. So it's good to see that he's, you know, he's getting his break with a movie that probably have a smaller budget, but it'll have a bigger audience. Yeah. In um, my opinion. I'd say this is probably going to be in Blumhouse's like $10 million range. Maybe less. Mm-hmm. Um, but people seem to do really well with those. And I think Lee Winnell is definitely capable of making a good movie for not very much money. I feel like Upgrade wasn't a very expensive movie, but it was one of the best movies of last year. Um, right. And it's cool to see Blumhouse and the at least Lee Winnell, who's a great director and a great writer, be able to tackle an original uh, classic monster movie character. Like, it would just it'd be so cool to see this franchise get revitalized in the way that we can see modern directors take on these classic characters and modernize them in a way that will make audiences kind of go back and see what made this genre build on itself. Right. And Peter Kramer, who's Universal's president of production... He said, we're excited to take a more individualized approach for their return to screen, shepherded by creators who have stories they're passionate to tell with them. That's the approach they should have taken from the very beginning. (laughs) That's what everyone was asking for. It's stupid. They gave it to Alex Kurtzman, who's like, never written a very good movie in his life, you know? Right. (laughs) He's written very mediocre stuff, and he's ruining Star Trek right now from everything I hear. Like, people are not happy (sighs) with the stuff he's come up with for that, so... It's just good that they're writing the ship with this. Hopefully, if they are still doing a Creature from the Black Lagoon movie, they take it away from Max Landis. Because, like, A, that, like, how many sexual harassment, uh, you know, accusations do you need before <laughs> you actually get in trouble for something? Like, that, the dude's had so much bad shit come out about him, and he's not a great writer either. Like, just take him off that crap, you know? Like, start over. Yeah. Just get rid of everything they already had from the Dark Universe. Yeah, this is definitely a, a step in the right direction. And they, if they can just have Blumhouse kind of handle each character from here, you know, as it comes up, maybe get more kind of smaller, low-budget director, writer guys that will kind of come in and and do it for the, the little amount of money and just to, just to kind of get their name out there because they love the character. I think that's definitely the best way to course correct. Right, I agree. Get, like, Mike Flanagan. They've worked with him before. They've worked with David F. Sandberg before, I'm pretty sure. So you've got all these people that you could get to make great horror movies. And this could be the first Blumhouse movie, if they end up doing Creature from the Black Lagoon, that they get Guillermo del Toro to direct, you know? Yeah. Because I know he wanted to do that originally, and he bounced off of it. Yeah, and then made Shape of Water, which 
won Best Picture? It won something. It won something. It won some Oscar. <laughs> it won a big Oscar. I want to I say Best know. Picture, but I don't know. I think you're right. I, I never saw that movie, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was, like, impossible to see in theaters. Yeah, it had a really weird release. It was, <laughs> it was like, suspicious. Yeah. I was like, oh, it'll be in theaters for these three days, and then in one week it'll be in theaters <laughs> for five more days. It's like, okay, I really have no excuse not to watch it now, so I'm gonna, yeah. now that we've talked about it. It's on but, um, HBO now for streaming. Oh, hell yeah. I'll watch it there. I just think it's cool that Universal's figuring some shit out, especially when, you know, like Islands of Adventure and their other theme parks are kind of, you know, faltering a little bit. They're just showing their age, I would say. Mm -hmm. This is a good spot for them to be in where they can revitalize these monsters and hopefully create some cool rides throughout them in the future. Yeah, It's like pie in the sky. If if this does well and they're able to kind of bring back the whole cast of their classic monster movies, this could be a huge push all around for Universal. It could do right. wonders for them. And I think this is kind of the right way to do it. So this is great news, better than we could have hoped for. <laughs> and, you know, we both really like Lee Winnell. He's a really nice guy. I <laughs> This is, like, weird. I asked him, I saw a jacket he was wearing on a press tour, and I, like, texted him, or tweeted him. I was like, hey, uh, where'd you get this? And he, like, immediately followed me and DM'd me a link to it. <laughs> and he, like, likes my tweets freak, like pretty frequently. So I think that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. He's a really cool guy. He, he definitely seems like a really nice, cool, down-to-earth guy who's... Yeah, been in the business for a while, knows what he's doing. Right, and I don't know. I just think he's cool. I'm glad he's the big announcement for the first dude. Yeah, def- coming, definitely a back. strong start. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple Ted Bundy things here. The first one uh, is obviously that Zac Efron, his movie trailer came out for his movie Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Uh, that's a really p- bad name for a movie. Yeah, I <laughs> thought it wasn't called that i thought that was just like the tagline they were going with but that is the name of the movie extremely wicked shockingly evil and vile so the movie is like a catch me if you can vibe which i know is off-putting to a lot of people but on the other side of the fence like that's the whole point like ted bundy was able to use his wit and charm and like attractiveness to you know seduce women and kill them so it kind of makes sense that that's the vibe they'd go for with the movie and we'll talk about this a little later but they the same people made the docu-series, which is, like, you know, dark. So, yeah. I don't know. I thought the trailer was pretty good. I yeah. think it looks like a fun movie. I, I've definitely seen a lot of people not be too happy with the trailer. And and, right. I, and I think there is some validity to not... <laughs> like, I, I think the trailer yeah, kind of... I agree. The trailer does portray Bundy in a way that is kind of, like, rock star-ish or like someone to emulate in a in a way this, the only scene that like really was like why was when he's in the courtroom and everyone's like oh like look at this guy he's like oh he's like commanding the whole courtroom and shit you know yeah it's like uh and, and like you see that and you're like well how can they do that but as you see in the actual true story that is kind of how it happened <laughs> like ted bundy yeah did defend himself in court and was kind of well liked by a lot of people and um, people saw him and thought there's no way he actually did this stuff and uh, we're kind of almost victim blaming where uh, one of the survivors said that <laughs> people were coming up to her and saying ah, there's, there's no way you had the right guy and and so he was in real life kind of this larger than life <laughs> character who people thought that there's no way he could commit these crimes and we're giving him the benefit of the doubt and kind of held him up as a rock star so I mean it, it doesn't come off 
as very sensitive in the trailer, but it's seem it's very true to life in a way. Yep, and uh, I saw uh, Netflix tweeted out from their account that pe- they were like disturbed or whatever that people are saying he's hot and they have other shows on there. And uh, you know what? It's just really creepy that Netflix is uses Netflix uses the first person to tweet now. They say like, <laughs> "I'm seeing this is like verbatim, pretty pretty much." They're like, I'm seeing a lot of people talking about how Ted Bunny is hot. It's like, ugh, shut up. Go away, you fucking brand. No <laughs> yeah, one wants to right. hear from you. Personify a brand into like... Quit using I. Right. Like, you're not a person. You're a fucking corporate. You're a corporation. You're a multi-billion dollar corporation. You're not like a teenager who watches Netflix. And there's, there's not just one person running the Netflix account. As much as they'd like you to believe that. Like, I've tweeted from the Netflix account before. <laughs> I've been on the Netflix where I've tweeted from it, from my old job. What fucking shows? It was for that movie Barry they did. Oh, yeah. Which was, like, Young Barack Obama. I worked on that. I helped cut a trailer for it, and, like, I did the social for that. And I tweeted, like, from their account. So it's like, there's 5 million people touching this account (laughs) at any given time. So, you know, this has a lot to do with Ted Bundy, I know. But that just really was off-putting to me. Like, you know, the trailer, I was like, eh, that's fine. And then a bunch of people who aren't going to see the trailer got mad about it. And then 5 million more people who aren't going to see the movie were, like, applauding Netflix for being like, ah, like, I used I. And I said, I'm seeing that Ted Bundy is hot, but you know he murdered 30 women. It's like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's crappy. Yeah. That's my rant for the week. It is I don't think brands should use I. No, it, it is definitely weird. Like, even Wendy's doesn't do that. And they have a team of comedy writers writing for them. Yeah, but Wendy's has got it figured out. You know, <laughs> trying to copy Wendy's, stop. Like, stop trying to copy Wendy's. Like, they did it first. They did it the best. Arby's, also, fine. Like, Arby's is doing their paper craft thing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They're in tune with video games. Netflix is out here pretending they're a person, which is disgusting. <laughs> they're pretending they're a viewer of Netflix, yeah. basically. It's like, fuck, it's gross. <laughs> You don't see Amazon Prime out here doing that. No. Hulu's like, we'll give you a free month. Please come back. (laughs) (laughs) They should make a movie about that. That would be great. Maybe that'll be the next End of the Dark movie. (laughs) Hulu, driven mad by being ignored by by the vast majority of people. (laughs) Goes crazy. Murders Netflix and Amazon Prime. (laughs) So... Anyways, I thought that trailer was pretty okay. I people saw the movie at Sundance, I guess, and liked it. Um, people enjoyed it. They, I, I saw that Polygon, who was all up in this movie's shit for you know that trailer, mm-hmm. saw it at uh, Sundance and actually really enjoyed the movie. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm definitely excited for it though. I think, despite the trailer kind of putting a poor taste in your mouth, I think it does look like a pretty good movie, and it's, I think it's smart of the same people to put together the docuseries to um, kind of put out the true facts of the case along with this kind of fictionalized retelling of it. And I thought that was kind of smart, and it's it's cool of them to put out real information on the guy while they're kind of fictionalizing his story. Right. Um, so that's cool. The last thing we have to talk about this week is that Netflix 
is making a Resident Evil TV show. And that's where the good news stops. <laughs> so Deadline reported this, which is an awesome scoop for Deadline. So the person, the reporter over there, she uses I because she's a human being. She says, I hear the series will be a Netflix global original. German production and distribution company Constantin Film, which is behind the Resident Evil movies loosely based on the Capcom video game series, is the studio. Search is underway for a showrunner to shepherd the adaptation. So knowing that Constantin Film is involved pretty much kills all my interest. Uh, the reports are also saying that it will be kind of in the same universe as the movies, which is stupid. Like, why? I don't know. It, it seems weird because within the last two years, the franchise has gotten so much goodwill from people where <laughs> I know. Resident Evil 7 kind of revitalized the series, brought it back to its roots was one of the best games of 2017. <laughs> then they just come out with the RE2 remake that's, like, universally beloved. People are calling it one of the best remakes of all time. <laughs> that it's, like, now you want to just reel people back in to shit on them with this terrible, bad, like, movie universe yeah. you've made and make it into this bad TV series. I, it just seems, like, idiotic to put it in the hands of these people that made the series a joke for years <laughs> i i bet capcom is kicking themselves in the dick right now for ever giving this series to constantin i'm sure they want to take it back i'm, I'm like i'm sure they want to like remove it and just make like they could make a show with netflix themselves and it'll probably be a lot better than whatever if they did an animated this is gonna be like castlevania style resident evil show that was four episodes that'd be awesome i'd be so into yeah, that totally would just like there's so many stories you could tell. You could do the Resident Evil 7 story, take out that weird boat. Yeah. Just get rid of that. <laughs> Everything else in that is great. You can do Resident Evil 2's story. You can do any of that. There's so many opportunities for great storytelling, and they're going to do some weird shit where people are running around dressed in tight leather, using bad one-liners, shooting CGI zombies, and crying. Yep. That's what this show is going to be. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. They're going to bastardize the... Umbrella Corporation. They're gonna have they're gonna have characters that exist in the game, but just completely fuck them up like they always do. It's just gonna be weird. It's gonna be weird and not good. I'm calling it right now. Yeah, uh, but you know, if you're upset about this, you have the reboot from Johannes Roberts to look forward to. Yeah, great. <laughs> oh my god, I, just, I don't get. How, like, the duality of this, where you make these amazing games, like, you're finally getting back on track, you're making the series something that people like to play again, so, and then any other media, you're like, yeah, let's just throw it to the wolves and make a buck off of it, when you could make it this way <laughs> larger-than-life franchise if you just right. gave it to the right people. No, it's too much to ask, George. No. We can never have a good video game movie. I mean, at least we got the good games. I'm, I'm happy with us getting good Resident Evil games again, at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, while we wait, I'll be looking forward to Johannes Roberts, director of 47 Meters Down, The Other Side of the Door, and The Stranger's Prey at Night's new reboot of the Resident Evil franchise. <laughs> So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with two reviews for you guys. Okay, we're back from our quick break, and so we had this weird thing happen this week where 
I watched one episode of the Ted Bundy Netflix series, and George played an hour of Resident Evil 2, which I beat, and George watched the whole Ted Bundy series. So we're each going to review it for each other. So George, please tell me about the Ted Bundy tapes, Conversations with a Killer. So the, the first thing I want to say is, so it's called Conversations with a Killer, colon, the Ted Bundy tapes. So... I just said it backwards. I don't know why. So I wonder if this is going to be like a series that Netflix is going to do where they'll take on other serial killers or other people and kind of do like a this kind of style documentary where it'll be kind of an in-depth, multi-part interview and news clips and kind of, you know, actual audio from from these people. Um, I don't know if this, like, conversation with the killer is going to be a series, but I think that actually be kind of a cool series that for Netflix to do. Yeah, I agree. That It's, like, limitless potential. They should give that Case File guy a series. Yeah, that would be awesome. That podcast is amazing. I've been listening to it a lot at work a- lately, and it's just out of this world. One of the best true crime podcasts I think I've ever heard. Yeah, it's, like, it's the audio quality isn't as good as Sword and Scale, but it also, like, doesn't have... Any of the drama that Sword and Scale has, where the guy who runs that show is constantly starting fights with people, <laughs> and he's part of that crew that's leaving Patreon because Sargon of Akkad said the N-word, and yeah. it was recorded, and, it, and Patreon deleted his Patreon, so like, I guess Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson started this whole thing where they're like, we're leaving Patreon to take a stand. It's like, okay, I really respect your defense of this man's right to say the n-word it's really really a strange (laughs) hill to die on yeah but anyway what's going on with the ted bundy tapes um so the ted bundy tapes are i think it's a five-part series so it's about five hours long um look at the at ted bundy as a as a serial killer um it uses both audio clips from this news reporter who got to talk to ted about uh, his life, his thoughts on, you know, him committing the crimes, kind of his point of view of, of what happened and how he saw the events that unfolded, interviews with people that are survivors of him, interviews with people that met with him, prison guards. Uh, um, there's one guy who is a minister for the Church of Latter-day Saints that Ted Bundy was a member of in his, like, 20s or 30s. Ah, so he's a Mormon. Yeah, he joined. There's, there's like a pretty interesting thing about that, where he moved to Washington, I believe Washington or Utah. Moved from one to the other uh, after he did a spree of killings, kind of to get away from it. And then when he moved to that to the new location, he joined the the Church of Latter Day Saints to kind of blend in a bit. And they actually were huge supporters of him when <laughs> he was in court, and they like donated a <laughs> bunch of money for his cause and wrote him cards and were kind of his advocates in the news, saying that there's no way he could have committed these crimes. And the the Mormon Church doing weird shit. <laughs> what? So, you kidding me? <laughs> I know you you would never believe it, but um, I, I actually thought that the interviews were pretty interesting and kind of give you a lot of perspective that. There are some things that you kind of roll your eyes at. Um, one of the lines that I, I'm still kind of cringing about that's in the trailer is, <laughs> um, 
the news reporter who was talking to him says something to the effect of, oh, Ted Bundy has these the most blue eyes you ever saw, but when he starts talking about his killings, his eyes go completely black. And it's just like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's he's okay. a human being. Like, come on. No, he, tur- he turns into a black-eyed man. <laughs> So, like, like there's some he stuff like that tongues. that's kind of stupid, but um, overall, I think the majority of the interviews are good. Um, I think the one aspect of the series that kind of falls a little flat is they don't... So this, this is either good or bad. They don't really go too much into detail about the actual um, murders or, you know, the killings. They, they kind of just breeze over those. They talk about them and the, the victims kind of where he went, point A to B to C to D, but not so much what he did, just kind of more about the the court, um, how he defended himself, kind of his life, um, people who met with him. And so it's kind of more of the story of him as a person as opposed to the acts that he committed. They breeze over a lot of that and kind of just focus on um, the bigger picture of him as a person and, and the story of Ted Bundy, you know, like escaping and kind of going on the run for a while and and how he grew up and you know went to law school and all this stuff so it, it's definitely an interesting look at the at him as a person do you think it's worth watching i, I i'd say so uh, i haven't watched too many documentaries on on bundy i've really only listened to a, like a one or two true crime podcasts on him so being able to see kind of um pictures of victims and having to see like real interviews with them seeing people who talk to him in real life kind of seeing the cell that he was in for a while and and pictures of him as it goes i think it's a good middle ground i don't know if there's a better documentary series on him but i think this is told pretty well um doesn't go into all the details like i said but it is a good timeline of the events and a good look at ted bundy overall i uh, i watched the first episode i said that i put it on my ipad while i was playing uh, fallout and it was a good it was a good like background thing to have right next to my screen yeah yeah like um i i think it is kind of good um background information it, you can kind of treat it like a podcast where you're just listening to it but I, I think it is i think the visuals do help when you can see pictures of the the victims and crime scenes and Ted Bundy throughout the years and they they do this kind of timeline where they go back and forth and they'll show you the year that they're talking about and they'll have pictures of Ted during that year and and they do this thing they they even do this like in the first episode where uh they'll kind of show the the audio clip of Ted being like yeah you know I was really popular in school and uh (laughs) I was like star of the football team and I I was valedictorian and then it'll cut back to someone who knew him in school. I like that. And they were I like, like that. <laughs> they were like, yeah, Ted was not good at football. Like, he wanted to be good, but he was pretty bad. And, like, no one really liked him too much because he was kind of weird. And <laughs> he was, like, very middle of the ground, like, middle of the road as a student. So it's like, you see what he thinks of himself and then kind of what the real story is from uh, secondhand accounts. <laughs> That's awesome. So how many stars would you give it out of five? I would give this a uh, four. This is pretty good. It's, I mean, that's an 8 out of 10. It's great. Yeah, it's it's great. I think if you're interested at all in um, true crime or serial killers, I think it's worth a watch. Uh, also, if you're going to see that movie, you should watch it. Yeah, definitely. I think if you're all interested in the new movie, you though. should watch it to kind of see what the what the real events are. Um, and 
uh, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Cool. So now I'm going to tell you about most of Resident Evil 2. Are you ready? Hit me with it. Okay, so I got this game early, which was cool. Uh, thanks, Capcom. They hooked me up because I covered Resident Evil 7 so extensively. It was really cool of them. So I did a whole video review on this game. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, it, of course, makes the change from first person to third person that they went with with Resident Evil 7. But it also takes a lot from Resident Evil 7 that I really liked. Like, the inventory system is great. The way you get upgrades for it by exploring the Raccoon Police Department is awesome. The item box that moves from safe room to safe room, I know that's an old feature in the games, but it was one that they brought back, and it's extremely helpful. Um, yeah, I, I know I already have a few items that I've put in there where I'm like, I, yeah. I, don't, I know I don't need this now, but there might be a puzzle later or a vendor or something I can use this for. So I'm just going to put it in there because... Uh, Especially in the early parts of the game, inventory space is so valuable. Mm -hmm. And if you know what you're doing, the game rewards you for doing more playthroughs. Obviously, by when you beat the game as one character, Leon or Claire, you can go through a second story that has different cutscenes and bosses and levels with the other character, which is great. Uh, it rewards you for exploring and figuring things out and replaying the game by giving you upgrades that you can take into the second playthrough, which I like. And it also does this really cool stuff with key items where once you are done using it, like if you've unlocked every room a key works in or you've used the bolt cutters on these chain doors enough, it'll let, it'll tell you, it'll put a little red check mark on the key item and then you can uh, destroy it so you don't fill up your inventory box, which is cool. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was and, kind of a cool indicator of yep you're done with this key item so you don't need it anymore so like the first time you do it it feels kind of weird because you're like i'm really never going to need this spade key ever again <laughs> like it yeah, got me right. through these last like four like a couple hours so it's weird to destroy it but then you realize like i really don't have space for it like i can't keep it <laughs> i need to just get rid of it and and get some pistol ammo or something like this space is so valuable to me <laughs> Yeah, and the boss battles are all really cool. They they're not the game isn't very hard. A lot of people are making it out to be a lot harder than it is. The only times I died are when you had to fight there are a few bosses throughout the game that you can't fight with guns. You just kind of have to live until something happens. Mm -hmm. And when I was fighting those, I died a couple times just because it was like, well, I didn't dodge good enough and uh, the control in this game is obviously hampered a little bit. It's kind of like Resident Evil 4. It, Controls almost exactly like Resident Evil 4. So I would just die by happenstance sometimes at those boss battles. But outside of that, if you play the game like smart, it's really easy to live. Because the zombies, they can't run. You know, like they can walk right. towards you. And the way the shooting works is really smart. So unlike Resident Evil 4, you can walk while you're aiming. But there's like a reticle and it expands a lot if you're walking while you're aiming. So the smart thing to do is to stand still, let that reticle close, and then you can fire a shot. And if you hit... The reticle takes less time to close again, but if you miss, it takes more time to close again. And the only way to kill these zombies for real is to blow up their head, which is fun because I've seen a lot of people, I watch some streams where you, you shoot the zombie three times, you go down the hall, you come back five minutes later and he's up and then he grabs you when you come around the corner. So moments like that are scary, but it's really cool if you take the time and you can land a shot like directly between the eyes. It's like a guaranteed head explosion. So you actually have to like destroy the brain, which is cool. Yeah. Makes the zombies die. Yeah, I like that return to real their zombies. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, they don't talk about it being a 
some kind of weird virus or whatever like it is in 4. They, they're just, like, normal, classic zombies, at, at, at least where I'm at in the story so far. Um, I, I yeah, in my... Uh... Wait, where are you in the story? Yeah, what were you saying? So, like, I'm not, I'm not too far in the story, but like where I'm at, um, I, I haven't died. I think I've died once so far, um, and I, I think I'm through like the first part of Claire's story, um, where I've gotten. There's like three medallions you have to find throughout the police station. I found those, and I've met up with Leon a few times, and seen the helicopter crash. So there's like a, there's like a few set pieces I've seen, but not really too much in the, in terms of what's going on in the story, but just kind of mostly exploring the environment and getting getting acclimated with the the Raccoon City Police Department. Um, but but I haven't really died more than once, I don't think. Claire's story gets you through the police department quicker than Leon's. Because I, I beat both their stories. They're both their A stories. And you're about to get to the part where the game gets crazy. Because it's obviously a lot like Dark Souls, right? Where you're like, you have the central location, mm-hmm. and you're venturing out to different parts of this police station and unlocking shortcuts that always take you back to the central location, which is the Raccoon Police Department. Right. Uh, like, halfway through the game, Mr. X is introduced. Do you know who he is? I've seen the memes about him. Yeah, so I'm kind of, like, back and forth on how, like, whether or not he's actually scary. But basically... When the game wants to get you out of the police department and go to the next area, they introduce him, and he follows you around the police department, <laughs> and he does, like, an anime punch on you, <laughs> but but he's always following you. So, he's slow, so you can put distance between you and him mm-hmm. and kind of explore still, but you'll always hear him stomping around, and even when you're in the safe rooms, you can hear him walking around the whole place, and it does get scary once he catches up with you and you're trying to do stuff because he can take out a big chunk of your health, and hearing him stomp around is uh, terrifying, <laughs> but he's also really easy to evade. Uh-huh. It's really, if you're trying to get somewhere and like explore, he's scary, but if you're just trying to get to the next area, you can you can run away from him. So it's, it's just scary enough. I liked him. But it's really funny that people keep trying to kill him because you can't, you definitely can't. Like, I know you can stun him and knock him down. Yeah. If you use all of Claire's ammo from the <laughs> grenade launcher, which obviously isn't worth it at all. Right. So, but I like him a lot. The boss battles are great. The one thing that's really cool is my first experience with this game, like Resident Evil 2, was I read the novel by S.D. Perry that I read all those novels because they're fucking awesome. But the cover of the Resident Evil 2 one has uh, the William Birkin on the cover. And I always thought he looked so cool. And getting to see him in 4K, like all fucked up, is crazy. <laughs> I really like that. Um, so Yeah, the graphics are insane in this game. It looks very good. Um, and and some of it is kind of pre-rendered cutscenes, like the one really really big one that everyone kind of references is when you pick up the zombie's head and the jaw detaches and falls off, and you know that that's all pre-rendered. But there are scenes like in the game where you you'll shoot a zombie in half and his top half will start crawling towards you. <laughs> like oh my god, right. like what am I supposed to do? I made more of an effort to see that in my second playthrough because I realized I never didn't get a headshot in the entire first playthrough like i was like well that's the way to kill them right so i'm only going to shoot their heads and then i made an effort to like actually see the dismemberment my second playthrough and, like when their arms fall off it's cool and when they break in half like you said the liquors are really scary yeah because I, they're hard as fuck to kill <laughs> i've just been using uh claire's grenade launcher to deal with them because i'm like i don't want <laughs> i don't want these guys coming after me 
the weird the weirdest thing though for me is that it's a you know it's a very similar game to the evil within 2 not story-wise obviously but gameplay wise mm-hmm. and this game gives you stronger weapons and less mobility like you can't really dodge there's no stomp you know, you have the quick turn and everything, but you're definitely a little more hindered. But your guns are stronger. Also, like, the upgrade system in Evil Within 2 is a little different, where it's more RPG. Right, you can craft. You can craft it, and you can choose kind of what upgrade you want on your gun. Better, larger clip, better reload, more yeah. damage. And but the guns are always pretty weak in that game. Right. And like, you have you have more mobility. Right. Even at max damage for the pistol, it's not going to one-shot enemies. You're still going to need to put in a few rounds and put your distance between enemies. Exactly. So, I like the way the Evil Within works better, I think. Because you could play around more with the, with the like, combat system. Where you could, like, shoot a zombie's legs out and then stomp its head. You know, and stuff like that and kill it for good. Right. And you could... It just, it felt better. I think that game feels a lot better to play. And the one big thing is that it does, it is a lot like this Resident Evil 2 remake where you have a central location that you're branching out from for the story, but it's a it's an open world small town that gets more and more crazy as the game goes on. And that is far superior to the Raccoon Police Department. Like you can't do anything in the Raccoon Police Department main lobby. Like you just come back to this lobby and that's all it is. It's like a save typewriter mm-hmm. and a storage thing. But in the Evil Within 2, between story missions, you could explore new, use your new weapons and new abilities to explore more of this open world. And Even it do would repopulate side quests. Every time. I mean, there was like extra, yeah. in, extra environmental triggers you could do where you'd go into a house and read a book and a ghost would chase you out of it. And like, <laughs> oh, yeah. The Evil Within 2 is so much scarier than Resident Evil 2. Like, Resident Evil 2 has scary moments, but it's just, it's a cool 90s zombie story. I think where its charm comes from is the fact that it's, like, takes place in a time period that's cut off from the rest of the world. Like, internet is in its infancy. You could theoretically see something like this happening. Mm -hmm. It's a very small-scale story. But The Evil Within 2, I just, I think that game is, I, I don't think overall it's a better game. I think the gameplay is better. And I think that small town is better than a lot of the stuff in this Resident Evil 2 remake. And I think the reason you're not seeing that in reviews is because no one played The Evil Within 2. Like, a lot, like people didn't give that game a fair shake. A lot of reviewers didn't give that game a fair shake. And I think it's honestly pretty dishonest of anyone to review Resident Evil 2 without playing The Evil Within 2. Especially considering that... <laughs> The, the game that Resident Evil 2 draws most from was created by the guy who created The Evil Within 2. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> like, that's that's what's frustrating about it well, I to think me. One of the issues with Evil Within 2 was that it came out the same year as Resident Evil 7. So right. We got, it was a sequel to a bad game. Right. And we got a real entry into the Resident Evil series that was better than a lot of the previous entries that we got. So it was huge news that, like, we got a real Resident Evil game that's back to being scary and is a good game that's cool. So the fact that Evil Within 2 comes out and it's just kind of a a pseudo-Resident Evil game, it's not quite there, it's sort of its own thing, but it, also a huge step up from its predecessor being way better than <laughs> Evil Within 1, uh, it just didn't get the credit it deserves for being maybe the best Resident Evil game that came out in 2017. 
Right. It's stupid. And you see a lot of people saying like, oh, people are complaining that Resident Evil 2 is short. These games are better when they're short. They can't support long stories. Well, I can tell you right fucking now that those people haven't played The Evil Within 2 because it's a 15-hour game that totally supports that length. It's spread out so well, and the boss fights, I'd say, are, for the most part, better than any of the ones in Resident Evil 2. Like, fighting William Birkin looks like a cool boss. Mm -hmm. He is a very cool-looking boss. He is a scary move set. He is a very simple and predictable pattern, though, and he's easy to take down once you figure it out. The bosses in the Evil Within 2 are fucking awesome. Like, the Obscura guy with the cam, the Obscura camera boss is terrifying. That boss is crazy. It, like, freezes you in your place. You have to be smart and figure out how to defeat it. And it's also scary on top of that. Then you've got the the last boss, which is, like, a white goo monster that is the, the scale on that thing is insane. Yeah. Very cool. Size of a building. Then you have the boss that is an amalgamation of people's bodies. Yeah. And it's a bunch of women's heads screaming. Like... That was awesome. It's just so cool. Yeah, it's definitely very imaginative, and it plays around with the environment and kind of those puzzle-solving elements a lot, where it's not necessarily like, oh, I'll just shoot him a bunch of times and the boss will be dead. It's actually having to use the environment, use things around you to to beat these bosses makes it a more well-rounded experience than just shoot, run away, shoot, run away, rinse and repeat. Yeah, and the, the coolest thing about the Evil Thin 2 is the more you go out of your way, the the scarier moments you'll find. Like that one where you uh, you end up in that room and you walk by the mirror, oh, and yeah. then you don't even notice this really, unless you're looking, but then Sebastian, the main character, he's in the outfit from the first game, and you're like, what the fuck? So if you walk up to the mirror, there's like a prompt. You get the prompt that this ghost lady like busts through the mirror, and that is like one of the scariest moments in a game I've ever seen. Like It's crazy. It, there's tons of moments like that. Yeah, I mean, also the the boss rush part where you fight all the bosses oh, from God, yeah. <laughs> Evil Within 1. It's just kind of like a really cool scene. Yeah, so if you've, whether or not you've played Resident Evil 2 or Resident Evil 7, I really think if you're, if you're looking for more experiences like that, play the Evil Within 2. If you like Resident Evil 7, you can play the Evil Within 2 in first person, which came in a free update. Yeah. And if you like Resident <laughs> Evil 2, you can play in third person. It's like it's got the best of everything. And this is a great conversation I know about Resident Evil 2. I really like Resident Evil 2. I think it's a great way to remake a game because it makes it accessible for people who discovered the series after Resident Evil 4, like I did. Mm-hmm. But to act like that game is reinventing the wheel or to act like that's the best survival horror game we've gotten in, in, in the last decade is it's just not right. Like, it's it's nostalgia glasses, and you obviously haven't played the better games that are out there. You know? That's yeah. just how it, that's how it comes off. But uh, I hope people play The Evil Thing 2 after they're done with Resident Evil 2, because thankfully Resident Evil 2 is like, if you're, if you're only content to beat it once, it's an eight-hour game. If you want to beat it twice... Say it's about like a 13 hour game because your second playthrough is going to be much shorter. So, I don't know. They're supporting it with free DLC, but in the interim, you could definitely run through the Evil Thin 2. It's cheap as hell now. I think more people should play that game. Yeah. <laughs> so, your view of, Evil, of Resident Evil 2 is play Evil Within 2. Let's play both. I mean, if you want my full review of Resident Evil 2, just go to my YouTube channel. There's a five minute video there, for, or seven minute video there, where I talk about how good Resident Evil 2 is. Mm. 
I didn't want to get into like I didn't want to like compare it apples right. to oranges. You know, like yeah. I didn't want to do that. That's not that's not fair. But like this is just me telling you played the Evil Within two and you played a bit of Resident Evil two. So I'm telling you why I think. Like, it makes it very transparent which people have played The Evil Within 2 which people haven't <laughs> seen the reviews of Resident Evil 2, you know? Yeah. But if I had to, if, out of five, I'd give Resident Evil 2 a four. Yeah. Uh, it's very solid. Yeah, from what I've played so far, it is good. It does have its scary moments. Um, I do like the kind of simplistic uh, Resident Evil puzzle solving where you get the three pieces of something and you move on. I think that's just kind of like it doesn't feel too simplistic because it feels like repetitive of the series it's just like Mm -hmm. what you expect in a resident evil game so it's kind of nice to get this you know that something you expect out of the game where you're like i know i'm gonna have to get three of something i know there's gonna be like these rudimentary puzzles i have to solve and and i think that's kind of right at home in in this game and yeah and i do like what i've played so far but the coolest thing is uh, this is awesome. They're adding in all these ghost survivor stories, so you can play as like the gun shop owner, the mayor's daughter, uh, a soldier who's left behind. But they also have the fourth survivor mode where you can play as Hunk. So there's a lot of content in Resident Evil 2, which is great. Mm-hmm. But people dug into the files and they found Chris Redfield as a playable character. Oh, really? And it's the Chris Redfield from the end of Resident Evil 7. So that is the the canon version of him. Interesting. Now. So I'd, I'd be excited to see whatever they do with that character. Yeah, so there might be some Chris Redfield DLC incoming. Yeah, and that reminded me that I never played the, the Not a Hero DLC for Resident Evil 7, <laughs> so I, I want to go back and play that now. Because that's where you play as Chris, and he has his punch. Yeah, I didn't I didn't play that either. I I don't think I played any of the DLC for 7. I think I just yeah, so, moved on after that. Yeah, and like... By comparing it to Evil Within 2, I'm not saying that one is bad and one is good. I'm saying that these are both great games, but I'm saying I'm frustrated that people are ignoring didn't get, it. <laughs> yeah, and there like a lot of people are like, "Oh, I wish we got more survival horror games." It's like, well, you did. You got two since 2017, right? <laughs> which isn't a lot, but like for this very specific subgenre, that is a lot. Like two <laughs> two great ones. Like I don't think Evil Within One is a perfect game by any means, but I think it is a really solid third-person survival horror game yeah and then you've got resident evil 7 you got evil Within 2 you got resident evil 2 like that's a lot yeah. of content to yeah play definitely but that's all i gotta say about resident evil 2 so you got anything else no uh, i think that's all i had bye bye